Sports Nation, are we buying BYU quarterback Keaton Slovis as one of the best transfer portal acquisitions in all of college football? Who said it? Plus, track and field crushes it at Nationals, which Cougar brought home a national championship. Make room for the new hardware. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Happy Monday, June 12th. I am Spencer Linton alongside a man who, frankly, has a lot of baggage. Literally, Jerem Jordan. What, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, no. So I, I went to Austin again to call some rugby, and I land, as I'm on the plane, I see Kenneth Rooks win the national championship awesome. in the steeplechase. I'm like, dude, I'm like landing in Austin right now. And then I realized, wait, I can make it for Casey Klinger's 5K here. So I rushed to the airport. Uh, I, or, sorry, from the airport to the track, Mike Myers track and field. Not that Mike Myers, of course. But I get there. Shout out to Joseph uh, Hovey, the okay. women's uh, SID, sports information director. I get there. Look, I've got my luggage. Joseph takes it up to the press box. I've even got my little airport pillow. Yeah, you got your neck pillow. Right there. And I'm like, hey, look, it's Ashton Reiner Lunt and Cameron Bates and Dallin Schertz, who had just finished, uh, you know, top 10. And uh, of course, the international uh, uh, thrower himself and coach Nicholas Arrhenius. Yeah. So it's fun to see everybody. I'm just wandering around the track with my backpack like no one's questioning me. Literally walked through with my luggage. No one checked. <laughs> like I'm just in there. But it was fun fun to catch up and, and see that. And uh, Casey Klinger, second team All-American in that race. Um, but, they, yeah, they did great work. And it was hot and humid even at like 10 at night when yeah. I finally got there. Which prompts the question, why Austin again in June? Why not Eugene? You have this world-class facility are they, is it under construction again? I don't know. But Texas did put on a, a good show there. It was just really hot. And then at church, I was the luggage in the back guy. <laughs> like, I've done this twice. The I other time you I was had in, a lot of luggage. I do. Uh, on baggage. And off field. Um, yeah, luggage, baggage, but maybe a little bit different there. One time I was in New Orleans, also for rugby, and I go to just a random ward, and it was Taysom Hill's ward. I was like, who's that muscly-looking deacon oh, hey, that's uh, 6'2", 235? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. But congratulations to everybody with uh, track field. They did a great job there in Austin. One final thought from that picture you took with the athletes. Has anybody ever questioned why people don't utilize the neck pillow as like a seat cushion at sporting events? Why not? Right? Yeah, I, no, I, I do. I'll put it behind me. Yeah. I'll sit on it and put it on my leg. Yeah, it's yeah, seat cushion. Versatile? It's great. So Versatile? Like, if I, had I seen that, I'd have been like, oh, it's just a seat cushion. You know? Yeah. You're, you're good. <laughs> Little did anyone it does know that you fit came around right your neck and is the shape of a buttocks. <laughs> On today's show, Senior Bowl Director Jim Nagy has high praise for Keaton Slovis. We'll tell you what he said and uh, what we think about it. We preview the matchup with Iowa State in football with play by play John Walters. The NCAA has some rule changes for men's hoops. What are they? Do we like them? And today's best win bracket features two-seed 1984 Michigan to win a natty Mm -hmm. against 15-seed Notre Dame in 1994. Name brands for sure. All rise and shout. Let's get to what's trending. That's my quarterback. What's trending presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Jerem just mentioned it. Let's get to the specifics of what Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, said specifically about BYU quarterback Keaton Slovis over the weekend. Nagy, complimentary to say the least, saying that, quote, his, Slovis's NFL talent tape is obvious 
despite his stats declining the past few seasons. Nagy complimented Slovis' toughness and accuracy before saying that getting Slovis to replace Jaron Hall, again, specific quote here, hasn't been talked about nearly enough when it comes to best transfer portal acquisitions in college football this offseason, end quote. Wow. Again, with the stats sliding, Nagy is in on Keaton Slovis. Jerem, are you buying that Keaton Slovis is straight up one of the best transfer portal acquisitions in all of college football this offseason? I've said he's as good of a quarterback as BYU possibly could have hoped for. We certainly hope that he's one of the best transfer portal acquisitions in college football this offseason. The, the jury is still out on that part, but I am super stoked that Keaton Slovis is at BYU. Mm. To bring a guy in that has the experience that he has, that has shown us what he's capable of. He's, he's a, a proven product at least a couple years ago. We believe, based on comments by Aaron Roderick and John Beck, who have both coached, uh, coached him um, privately and publicly, right, is that he is healthy and that he is able to do everything and he is ready for this moment. He has something to prove. He wants to be in the NFL. After his freshman season, there were a lot of people saying he was first-round potential. Led the country in completion percentage, at over 70% his first year, 30 touchdowns, 9 picks. He had a really yeah. good freshman year. Struggled a bit that sophomore year. It was COVID, um, you know, after that, and then struggled in, uh, in, in the year after that. And then at Pitt, didn't have a good O-line. All of a sudden, uh, who was it? Jordan Addison left uh, to go to USC, the reverse there. Offensive coordinator left as well, which was tough. Now he's in a better situation. So Jim Nagy, who is Jim Nagy? I think this is important as well. You mentioned senior bowl director. The dude isn't just a senior bowl director, although that would be enough. 18 years as an NFL scout. He has been watching film and guys and says some really flowery things about Keaton. I think that makes sense. The expectations are high here, too. We expect the BYU quarterback to perform. And what have John Beck and Aaron Roderick done with the last two quarterbacks at BYU? Put them in the NFL. Sure. Like, this is, this is a nice run here. There was a run of essentially six straight starters for BYU. Gary to Gifford to Mark to Jim to essentially Steve to Robbie. And that was the greatest run in college football history of consecutive quarterbacks and college football numbers and Heisman top tens and all this stuff. Jeremy, three years later, Ty Detmer's on campus. And then Ty. Robbie Bosco. So, and, and BYU has had some really good quarterbacks since then as well. But right now, given what Aaron Roderick has done, John Beck has done, not just with the BYU guys, by the way, put the top two picks in the draft this yeah. year. He is the best private quarterback coach in the world right now. Why wouldn't Keaton Slovis have a, uh, a really, really good year to the point where he could be a day three at least sure. draft pick? I, am, I believe Nagy. I believe Aaron. I believe John. And I'm excited about it. What it. Does that mean he's going to be one of like the top four dudes in the Big 12? I don't know per se, but certainly Keaton um, is going to be a massive piece of BYU's success this year. I dare say the biggest piece. Yeah, I'm looking at the other quarterbacks that got in the transfer portal this offseason and where Keaton Slovis would rank among those at the top tier. He's up there, Jerem. I mean, I'm looking at a guy like Sam Hartman who goes to Notre Dame from Wake Forest. He's a proven commodity. I feel like he maybe is number one or number two in that conversation. Like, if I were ranking them, Keaton Slovis, to me, based on the history that you just brought up and the fact that Jim Nagy and other NFL guys and John Beck are, are saying, like, dude, this guy is – he's a dude. He's, he could be really good for BYU. He's probably 
one of the top 10 best transfer portal quarterbacks in this offseason, and there have been a ton. I mean, there are literally more than 100 quarterbacks in the transfer portal. I'll take top 10. Yeah. He's one of the 10 best in the transfer portal, so it makes sense. He had a senior bowl invite before he declared that he was coming back for one more year. On, on terrible numbers. After his worst season at Pittsburgh, yes. because Jim Nagy and his committee of, or his selection committee, if you will, of the personnel in the senior bowl, believe that Keaton Slovis is an NFL talent. That straight not, up, they're like, no, you're, not, you're an NFL quarterback. Yes, and it's not based on numbers. It's not based on what he did last year. It's based on... Potential. Who he is. Yes. How he throws the ball. How he assesses the field. The kind of O-lines he had yeah. the last couple of years. Obviously, the last few years have not been good numerically. But we, we think that Slovis fits into a system. What did, what did BYU do with the quarterbacks in the, the 70s and 80s into the 90s? The system was amazing. And these guys came in and played really well in that yeah. system. And, and had their own strengths. And abilities like Zach Wilson was different from Jaron Hall but what they both did was take care of the football like Keaton Slovis hopefully takes care of the football but if not he may uh, penetrate defenses in a different way that Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall perhaps did not maybe across the middle of the field and perhaps that's uh, Isaac Rex and Jackson Bowers taking advantage of those we'll see but I don't think BYU could have got a better quarterback in the offseason out of high school in the portal or on the existing team I, I think Keaton Slovis is as good of a dude that BYU could have possibly brought yes. in, which is awesome. I am buying this. I mean, the question me, is, are you buying me this? Me too, yes. and blue goggles are firmly yes. on or off, whatever. I am buying it. I went through Again, I went through the, the list of every Division I quarterback that had transferred, and I found maybe, maybe six guys above Keaton Slovis. I said top ten, so I'd probably put him at number seven yeah. in the list of best. Shadur Sanders, Drew Pine, ends up uh, transferring away from Notre to, Dame. To Arizona State. To Arizona By State. the way, Drew Pine was number two in the sweepstakes to BYU. But is Drew, It was going to be Slovis or Pine. Would you take Slovis or Pine? I would take Slovis. Exactly. I would have been fine with Pine. Um, also, does BYU just recruit guys that they played against at some point? Is that how that works? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe so. Spencer Saunders, uh, Sanders to Ole Miss was an interesting one. Yeah. He is out of the Big 12 and uh, in, in now competing with Jackson Dart for the starting job. Yeah, he's Obviously got some nice Canyon numbers. He didn't, that was in the mix two years he didn't have a great season last year. Yeah. Uh, but Cade McNamara leaves Michigan. Uh, th- these are big names, but I'd put Keaton Slovis right there. Yeah. I, he's there. So I had him number seven overall on my list. He, they feel like he's an NFL quarterback. Does do Jim Nagy and his his team? Yes, this is worth the hype. This is before again after his worst season as a collegiate quarterback. They still feel like he's an NFL guy. He, we believe he's healthy. We believe he's had the proper surgeries. We believe he's getting the right training from John Beck. And he has a system that will accentuate Aaron what Rod- he does well. Aaron Roderick delivers the system that we believe Keaton Sloves will be able to excel in. Yeah, and, I'm and buying this. I think Aaron does a good job too of. Uh, not just saying, this is how it is. He will look at Keaton as well and go, okay, what do you do well? We're going to cater that to you. Like the offense evolved a little bit from Zach Wilson to Jaron Hall. There were some nuances there that adjusted, and BYU was taking advantage of uh, what those skill sets were. Sometimes he got Jaron in the run game a little bit. At times, no Jaron in the run game. Just kind of depended on Yeah, him. no, I had somebody ask me the other day, why do you like this kid so much? I looked at his numbers when he was at Pittsburgh, and I'm like – you really don't have any idea what you was going on at Pittsburgh. He got there, and it, was, it became a situation that was nothing close to what he thought he was going Context to Context matters. Business, uh, that one area in your mission that never baptizes. Like, yes, there are times where 
it doesn't work independent of how good you are. Yeah, the, the system quickly became a terrible scenario for Keaton Slovis, and he lost his top receiver. Yeah. Like what, when what, the OC and, and the top receiver, can you imagine? Aaron Roderick leaves, and then, uh, you know, Epps transferred. That'd be the situation yeah. he would walk See, in Aaron here. Roderick, Cody Epps is gone. Oh, and your shoulder's good, injured, Good too. luck. Have a great career. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck to you. He's back for a fifth year for a reason. Okay, here we go. There's a 10-year-old kid in Topic 2 named Baby Gronk. He's taking visits to colleges, working out five to six days a week, eating clean, doing all this stuff. This is crazy. Uh, Jim Nagy also quote tweeted a New York Times article about Baby Gronk saying, the NFL is a genetics league, simple as that. There's certainly outliers, but that's what it is. Then he told the story of Ziggy Ansah going from no football to fifth pick in three years. So what's the role of genetics versus development for NFL players in your opinion? No question. There are a number of athletes in the NFL that are just set up for genetic success. Like that absolutely is a huge part of the deal. But I am not saying that you can't develop into a great football player. Like when you get the genetic lottery and you couple it with an incredible mind, now you have an all-time great. But yes, and I saw all the comments coming back at him like, oh, yeah, what about Russell Wilson? Did he win the genetic lottery? And I'm like, yeah, there he's are. He's got a great arm and he's faster than you think. There are smaller guys that are great in the NFL. And he said there are exceptions. But yes, like no matter how much, like what is this baby Gronk going to develop into? He's 10 years old. Do we know what he's going to become? Hopefully more than Macaulay Culkin. A I mean, child star. We won't know. Like, you're not a full-grown adult until, what, 24? Like, how, how is anybody going to know what this 10-year-old Around here, that's a sophomore. Eventually becomes. Yeah. Like, it's going to take a while. And I, I'm sure the kid loves it, loves football. His parents are all on it. That's great. They found hate something it in the that he's passionate about. <laughs> but there's no way to know, like, yeah, baby Gronk is going to be an absolute NFL star. There are occasionally LeBron James and Bryce Harper's, like these guys that are tabbed as like the next great one early. But there's dozens to hundreds but of others that were not. Yes, there's so many yeah. others that are like, oh, he's going to be the next superstar. And you never hear about those because they fade away. Like that's what makes LeBron James and Tiger Woods and Bryce Harper, like those guys yeah. so brother, great. Brother Harper. Right, sorry, brother Harper. Yeah. Because they are a success story after being tabbed as the golden child early on. But those yeah. stories are few and far between. Yeah. Genetics matter. You need, yeah, the right upbringing. Now, in our day and age, you need the right money, the right camps, the right access, the right connections. This, this kid seems to have all of those. But what if he doesn't hit the genetic lottery? What if he... he he's 10. We're like... He's, he has a growth. Like, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have that major growth spurt. He just, like... Okay, he, now he stops at six feet. It's like, okay, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Okay, yes, you have to check a certain genetic box. Like, you can't be too slow, you can't be too short, blah, blah, blah. For the NFL, and it depends what position we're talking about. Like, if you're a quarterback, hand size is way more yeah. important than you think. And if you're a tackle, reach is a huge deal. Like, you have to extend your arms out, and you may have to be a center or a guard. Um, but as it pertains to BYU, I think BYU's done an excellent job of development, and we've talked about this, but let's repeat it. The fact that BYU can take, historically, Dennis Pitta and Chad Lewis as walk-ons, and then they're some of the best at their position in the NFL. Tyler Algier is a 
walk-on at BYU to 1,000-yard rusher in the NFL as a rookie. The fact that you take three-star guys in Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson, Zach becomes a five-star college player because he's a first-round pick. And Jaron becomes a stays a three-star guy as a day-three pick yeah. in their NFL picks. BYU does a tremendous job of development because I think BYU is unique in its uh, work ethic, its ability to cultivate people who are more than football players. And I think that adds to BYU being a little more disciplined uh, and, a, and a team that obviously can take guys that have not played for two years in many instances and still get them into the NFL. Brady Christensen goes from two stars, return missionary, to starting left tackle for the Panthers. BYU should be credited for its development of guys who have checked the ge- genetic box sure. and get them into the league. I mean, you, you listed all of those guys. All of those guys have a special skill set of some physical gift. Yes, right? Liam Neeson-like. They all have something special. I mean, we all, like in some degree, I'm listening to you say those guys, those names, like, oh, well, he's a freak athlete in that regard. Oh, he's a freak athlete in that regard. And work ethic matters. Like, you can be unbelievably talented and win the genetic Olympics and kind of work and still be successful, but I think BYU develops guys that work super yeah. hard. Spencer, yeah. what about Tom Brady? Yeah, he's 6'6 and has huge hands and a rocket arm. Yeah, he's a genetic freak. Yeah, like, yes. like he checked the genetic... Yes, he didn't run fast. <laughs> he did a bunch of other things. But though. also his will to win yeah. was extremely high. Like, he worked hard enough to sure. prepare well. All yeah. right, Jim Nagy is setting the news for us. Today. The executive <laughs> Jim director doing of the Senior Bowl. What's Our question of the day. He said that, speaking of quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis... Hasn't been talked about nearly enough when it comes to best transfer portal acquisitions in college football this offseason. Acquisition. It's transactional. (laughs) Are you buying this? Buying. No pun intended. (laughs) At Nate S underscore Dunn on Twitter says, 100% buying. People are forgetting Slovis through for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns as a freshman at USC. He was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. (laughs) He was freshman (laughs) All-American. He continues, every single season, Slovis has had sub-10 interceptions. So he has had That's that. a good point. Okay? Yeah. Roberts underscore MN on Twitter says, buying it, repackaging it, and selling it forward at a substantial markup. How so many experts can write off someone who's going to likely finish his career with somewhere north of 13,000 passing yards is mind-boggling. By the way, what, he needs like less than 100 yards to get 10K. He'll be the third BYU player with career 10K ever. Granted, they didn't ha- it didn't happen to BYU. But, like, what? That's crazy, man. Yeah, uh, the That's big time numbers. Hashtag BYUS on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Coming up on July 1st, it's the big party as BYU gets set for the Big 12. Day one that day, 5 Eastern time, two-hour show on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the BYU TV app. Come hang out with us as well if you're local. On the way, our opponent previews continue. A sneak peek with John Walters, the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. What do the Cyclones think of playing in Provo in November? This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Deckers again. Throwing downfield. He's got Stanley. Stanley inside the five. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. We continue now our Big 12 opponent previews, if you will, with the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. He is John Walters, just completed, he told us during the break, 20 years. Congratulations on that. Jonathan, thanks for joining BYU Sports Nation. 
Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, the Cyclones are a program with a ton of pride, have had great success. We know all about Brees Hall. We followed him closely because he's playing with former BYU quarterback Zach Wilson in the New York Jets, and we're looking forward to him being healthy and doing his thing. So there's a connection there. But outside of that, what does Iowa State or your general Iowa State fan think about BYU besides the Zach Wilson-Brees Hall connection? I don't know if they've thought much about it. They need to. They need to start thinking about it because I think it's going to be one of the really great environments in the new Big 12 Conference. I'm sure they have given that some thought. And, you know, when the schedule came out and you saw of the four new teams coming into the league, which two were Iowa State going to play or three or whatever the number might be, it ended up that they were on the road for the two games they're going to play. So they're playing at BYU and at Cincinnati. And I think those are two of the tougher tests among the four teams entering the league. Certainly, I think BYU is going to be a tremendous environment. It'll be the biggest stadium in the new Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Iowa State will actually be the second biggest stadium. Yeah. So uh, I, I anticipate a full house when uh, the when Iowa State plays there and the other teams in the new Big 12 play there. And uh, certainly they can expect that when they come to Ames. And, and I think it's going to be a, a really fun uh, rivalry to get started. I'm excited about it. November 11th. It's going to be great. Uh, certainly last year was a tough season for Iowa State, 4-8. and eight. What are the expectations generally this season for the Cyclones? Yeah, I think the, the thought is that hopefully that was kind of the one-off season. I mean, if you look at Matt Campbell's first year when he came in, uh, it took a little, little while to get the program off the ground, although he did get Iowa State competitive in that first year. They went 3-9, and nine, but they were in all those games except for maybe one or two. And after that, they really did very well over the next five years and then had the season where they kind of fell back a little bit last season. They went 0-6 in Big 12 conference games decided by a score or less a year ago. And they're going to be in a lot of those games every year. That's just the reality of Iowa State football, and it's a good thing because uh, before Matt Campbell arrived, there were games where you weren't convinced that Iowa State could be competitive against anybody. But now with him here, you certainly feel like Iowa State, if they play well, has a chance against anybody in the league, no matter where the game is, no matter how good that other team is. And that's been proven over time as Iowa State's won in every Big 12 stadium under Matt Campbell. Mm. But um, it, it, it's last year they didn't win those close games. And they're going to be in them again. I, I think the reality is that pretty much every year you're going to play six to nine games decided by a, a touchdown or less. And how are you going to do in those, let's say, seven is the number? Are you going to go five and two? Are you going to go two and five? That's what's going to determine what kind of a season you have. And that's really true uh, across, I think, what this new Big 12 is going to be. I think it's going to be very competitive top to bottom. Uh, it was like that in basketball a year ago where absolutely anybody could beat anybody. And I think it's going to be very competitive in that way in football, too. So I think the, the overall feeling among the Cyclone fans is that Hopefully last year was the aberration, you know, not the norm. And we'll see if Iowa State can get back to, to being an above 500 team and going to bowl games uh, again this season. Matt Campbell, certainly with that competitive nature, he's got this gravity about him. You hear his players talk about him. There's like, you know, you, you just you feel the vibe and his desire to win. Um, who did he add this offseason that you feel like, okay, this is a guy that – all Big 12 fans should know about. Maybe he's off the radar now, but who did Matt Campbell add to the roster this season that uh, BYU fans and all other Big 12 opponents need to know about? Well, they added a very good recruiting class. Uh, of, and He doesn't go into the transfer portal very much, but uh, the, the recruiting class of high school players coming in is excellent. 
Um, some of those guys might have an immediate impact. Jack Sadowski at linebacker, I think, could be a guy that can compete for the starting Mike linebacker position. Um, but overall, when you talk about guys that can make that immediate impact where fans across the league would recognize that, I think you do have to look at more of the older guys coming into the program. And certainly, I think Jaden Higgins at wide receiver is a guy that uh, can make that immediate impact. You've got to replace Xavier Hutchinson, who the last three years in college football, no wide receiver in the nation had more receptions than Xavier Hutchinson. Wow. And now he's with the Houston Texans. And uh, so that's a big hole, a big, you know, big shoes to fill. But I think Jaden Higgins coming in from Eastern Kentucky, where he had 10, 10 touchdown receptions a year ago, has really good size, a good catch radius. I think he's a guy that can come in and have that immediate impact at the receiver position. I think the other thing is you just look for guys that are already within the program to emerge because Iowa State really is a player development type program. And so you hope that guys make those gains year to year. And uh, certainly there's some candidates to do that within the roster. And I think that has to happen for Iowa State to get back to the kind of success that they had been getting a little bit more accustomed to under Matt Campbell. Nate Chielhouse is the new OC, upgraded from running back and wide receiver, uh, former, what, uh, Wisconsin running back, tried to high-five a ref after a touchdown, I think I remember, uh, which is fun. Ill how Illinois quarterback. Ill Illinois quarterback. Illinois, thank you, thank you. <laughs> how, yes. uh, uh, how many refs is he going to try and high-five this year, and how do you think the offense <laughs> is going to change? I can't answer question one, and I, I, I can't answer question two either, uh, although I will say that my opinion is that you're not going to see – a drastic change in the style of offense that Iowa State plays because Matt Campbell uh, has a formula for winning at Iowa State that relies heavily on your defense, ball possession, ball control offense, trying to have sustained drives that move down the field over, you know, eight to ten plays where you're chewing up some time off the clock. And uh, uh, they're not a quick strike offense like some around the Big 12 are. They're capable of it, as you see on that play right there. But they, they are more likely to beat you with a 10-play, 75-yard drive. Uh, and I think that benefits them the most because then they allow that defense to stay fresh and go do its thing. And last year, Iowa State's defense led the Big 12 in every category. And you're like, well, how, how in the world do you go 1-8 and eight hmm. with the best defense of the Big 12? But the offense did take a step back last year. It struggled. Um, I think Tom Manning, the outgoing offensive coordinator, had some very good years. They had some of the best offenses in Iowa State history under his direction. He's back with the Indianapolis Colts. But I think Nate Shieldhouse is one of the young, really bright minds in college football, and I think he was ready for and due for that kind of a promotion. And so I think more than anything, it'll just bring a fresh voice into that offensive meeting room and a, a, a fresh outlook. And Nate's a very positive, uh, outgoing guy who connects well with the players. He's got great relationships with the players. I think a, a big part of what his success will be, well, how will the other new coaches that have joined the staff on the offensive side of the ball make an impact? And Ryan Clanton comes in as the new offensive line coach. He was at Northern Iowa and did a great job there, put some guys in the NFL. And I, I think if Iowa State could get 5 to 10% better on the offensive line, then you could see – the reestablishment of that running game, which took a really big step back last year in large part because of injuries. But, uh, you know, for years it was hey, David Montgomery, Kane Nwangu, uh, Brees Hall. I mean, yeah. Iowa State's produced some really good running backs under Matt Campbell. And so, you know, can they get back to that level? I, I think it's possible, but so much of it depends on how good they are up front. And I think that's where if Iowa State can make, you know, a, a 5 10% gain, then all of a sudden everything – on the offense looks better and Iowa State doesn't have to get 
you know, light years better offensively. They just have to score three or four more points a game. And if they can do that, their defense is certainly good enough, at least on paper, again, going into this season, that they should be very competitive. John Walters is the voice of Iowa State football. He is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Everybody we talked to through the Big 12, and again, we're coming from a standpoint of being one of the four new guys in town, tells us that this year the conference just seems kind of wide open. It's anybody's league. Well, John, you've been around the conference for a long time. Who's the favorite, in your opinion, to win the Big 12? Is, or is it truly wide open? I think it's closer to wide open than being able to sit here and say who the true favorite is. Now, most people will say Texas because they do have a lot of talent coming back, and I understand that. But pretty much every year, Texas has been picked to top the Big 12 Conference or Oklahoma, and Texas really hasn't held up its end of the bargain too often. They, they've been good occasionally, but they haven't been sustained great over the last 10 years. And you know, with all the resources they have and the talent they have, uh, the amount of, I mean, they print money there. I mean, you would think that they could uh, get to the top of the league and stay there, but they haven't been able to do that. And so um, I, I'm not ready to crown them just yet. I think they have a chance to be very good because they have a ton of talent. Uh, Oklahoma is always um, a factor, but, but they struggled last year. They took a step back last year, as did Iowa State. So, you know, Ken Baylor, which took a step back last year, get back on track under Dave Aranda. There's there's so many unanswered questions. And <laughs> Oklahoma State's a program that really gets overlooked year to year, but is always up there in the Big 12 race. Now, they took a huge hit in the transfer portal, so I'm not sure that they'll be able to get back to the top of the conference. But, you know, you look at the last few years, and, and everybody always talks about Texas and Oklahoma when they talk about the Big 12. And I get it. Okay, I understand. They have the resources. They have the biggest stadiums. They have the best recruiting classes. They should be at the top of the conference. But if you look at the last two Big 12 championship games, you know, you had Kansas State and TCU last year, and you had Oklahoma State and Baylor the year before. Right. The year before that, it was Iowa State and Oklahoma. So, you know, it, it is a wide open league. And I think it will continue to be that. I think that's one of the things that makes it fun. This is one of those conferences, guys, that. I think when fans that aren't necessarily Big 12 conference fans are just flipping through the dial on a Saturday afternoon and they come across one of these competitive Big 12 games, it, it'll draw them in and they'll stay with it. And, you know, I, I think when the, the conference shakeup was announced that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving that first stage, everybody just thought the other eight are just dead in the water. There's nothing to these eight programs. But I just mentioned four programs that played in the last two Big 12 championship <laughs> games, right? And you know, and, and those games were well-watched nationally. Uh, the ratings were great. And, you know, it's an exciting brand of football. It has been for years, and I think you guys are going to love being a part of the Big 12 Conference. Cannot wait, to say the least. And looking forward to having you and Iowa State in Provo at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on November 11th. We appreciate the time on a Monday, John. Keep up the good work, and uh, again, thanks for the insight. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. John Walters, the Iowa State play-by-play -play specialist, and uh, brings up a great point. No Texas or Oklahoma in the last two Big 12 championship yeah, games. six different teams in the last three Big 12 title games. It, just get you a Max Duggan, and you can go to the national title game. <laughs> no, but think, think about it. So, the, good insight there. They go 0-6 in games, uh, league games decided by one score. They're the, Iowa State's this close to being interesting. Yeah, he said they score three or four more points, totally different season last That's year. a big metric that I always walk into a season and look at is how, do you, how are you going to fare in one-score games? Because the seasons yeah. where BYU does really well, 
they win the close games. It seems super obvious, but at the end of the season, you got to look back and go, oh, play here to – or like the play that you got uh, was maybe lucky or beneficial in that moment too. So Iowa okay, State feels like a one-game score in Provo. A one-score game, I should say. Could be. score game. <laughs> it might be that too. <laughs> that would be 6-3 in the snow. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, that would be two scores, I guess. Join us as we look back on BYU's magical run in men's hoops to the 1981 Elite Eight. We'll chat about it with Fred Roberts. That's coming up in the 81 Reviewables Friday at noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Stay with us. Next, we continue our BYU football best wins bracket with a few wins against some of college football's most storied brands. They go head-to-head. And who did advance in the bracket? This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. BYU Sports Nation on the social media for content throughout the day on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube, and the TikTok. Welcome back to Studio B. I am Spencer Linton. He is Jerem Jordan. Let's roll out today's headlines. Kenneth Rooks wins the national championship in the steeplechase with a dominating performance. Pulled away on the final lap, just running past everybody. 8-26-17 to become the fourth Cougar ever to win the steeplechase at Outdoor Nationals. And after Courtney Wayman won it last year, BYU is the first school in D1 history to win the women's and the men's steeplechase in back-to-back seasons. Amazing. The men finished 10th overall, thanks to Casey Klinger, in the uh, 5K, taking 11th, 10K rather. Dallin Schertz taking 7th in the discus. Ben Barton taking 8th in the decathlon, among others. Congratulations. The karma hierarchy knew that you were in the air headed to Austin. Like, Dallin, I'm coming, baby! They awarded it. Yeah, Kenneth was on the, the show recently. Brooks. Nice yes. job, guys. BYU Sports Nation karma. Women's track and field honoring four first-team All-Americans after their performances at Nationals. Claire Seymour and Megan Hunter finished third and eighth in the 800 meters, respectively. Speaking of karma. Lexi Halliday-Lowry finished fourth in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Sierra Tidwell-Alfin finished seventh in the high jump. Congratulations to all those outstanding women. Women's volleyball non-conference schedules out. BYU opens the season in Montana, taking on Pitt for the fourth time in three seasons, this time in Missoula. What's up, Montana? Other highlights also include LMU. BYU left the league but still wants to play LMU at home at Washington State. And Utah is coming to Provo. A full schedule is on BYUCougars.com and right in front of you on the screen. How about some NCAA men's basketball rule changes? Stay with me on this, beginning with the charge block rule. Okay, here we go. (laughs) The defender will need to be in position to draw a charge at the time the offensive player plants a foot to go airborne to attempt a field goal. That's earlier, yep. Okay. If the defender arrives after the offensive player has planted a foot to launch towards the basket, the officials will call a block when contact occurs between the two players. Also, the shot clock will reset to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound, after the shot hits the rim. Players can wear any number between 0 and 99 that, now. That's a big one, dude. <laughs> that's new. Can't wait for someone to roll out with 92. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and What are you, an offensive lineman? Non-student bench personnel, Jerem, can act as peacekeepers. This is you as the sideline reporter. If an altercation... Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. You see me getting in there between Ali Khalifa and some <laughs> other big opponent. Like, hey, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> All good. <laughs> like, why is the sideline report Easy out there? on the microphone. Kooks in the, don't get in the, in the USFL. <laughs> Diane Lake of the Houston Gamblers had an interception. Troy Warner and Corbin 
Kafusi of the Memphis Showboats lost to the New Orleans Breakers. Samson Nakua and Bo Tanner still going of the Pittsburgh Maulers beat the Michigan Panthers. And Kai Nakua had six tackles, three tackles for loss in the sack for the Panthers. Nice. Austin Deming named the District 8 Player of the Year according to National Collegial, uh, Colli sorry, National College Baseball Writers of America. Outstanding. Nice work, Austin. Another baseball notes, Michael Rucker was recalled to the Chicago Cubs. He pitched two and a third scoreless innings and two outings combined over the weekend. Daniel Schneeman continues to have just a remarkable year in AAA. Five for 12 over the weekend with a home run, a double, two runs batted in. He's now hitting 302 with five homers on the season, 25 runs driven in overall in his campaign. And Jackson Clough joined the home run fund as well. He hit a dinger in AA ball over the weekend. Trent Mosier had a monster tournament for the United States U21 men's volleyball team in the Norseca Pan Am Cup in Havana, Cuba. The Americans lost the gold medal match to Cuba 15-11 in five. Cuba the only team to beat the U.S. They did it twice. Mosier led the team with 18 kills. Ashley Hatch in the National Women's Soccer League, BYU legend, played 78 minutes, scored a goal, had four shots on goal total in the Washington Spirits 2-1 win over the weekend. We think she's got a great shot to make the World Cup roster. I'm hearing the team could be told this week if they made it or not. And then we'll announce it a couple days later. So we'll see. She's tied for the Golden Boot lead in the NWSL. She's got six goals on the One or two years ago. Yeah. Let's go, baby. Those are today's headlines. Now let's get to the best of BYU football wins bracket. Again, we need your help to determine the greatest win in BYU football history. Miami! We have seeded the top 16 wins. Some have already been eliminated. Each day we'll present the matchup today and the results from the previous matchup as well as we move along in the BYU football best wins bracket. Okay, the matchup we had Thursday was four seed 06 Utah. Back to Harleen against 13 seed 1984 Pitt. Moving on to the second round with 71% of the vote is... Back to Harleen. Back to Harleen. Oh, there you go. Utah. I love it. There okay. it is. Okay. That'll be a fun matchup in the uh, second round there. All right. Well done. Now for the matchup today against some big-time college football brands. And what a performance by Robbie Boston. Oh, There's Jamal Willis. Michigan as the two seed against 1994 Notre Dame as the 15 seed. 84 Michigan, BYU's number one in the country, 12-0. Tried to lose the game by turning the ball over six times. What? Trailed 17-10 in the fourth quarter. Robbie Bosco hurts his knee, but he finds Glenn Kozlowski. A remarkable catch to tie the game later in the fourth. Bosco finds Kelly Smith in the end zone. Take the lead with just over a minute left. Marv Allen seals the win with an interception. This is the catch by Kozlowski, amazing. BYU wins 24-17, 13-0. They didn't know they won the national title right away. They had to wait until some other games were played, and then it was announced that they had won the game. An unbelievable run. Sorry, that they had won the national sure, title. They sure. knew they had won the game. Incredible. A natty. BYU the, won the national title. The lone undefeated team in the country in 1984, and that was the clincher, if you will. Good enough. In 1994, 10 years later, BYU on the road in historic South Bend, Indiana against Lou Holtz, Rick Meyer, Lou Holtz. and the Fighting Irish. BYU had lost previously, convincingly in 92 and 93 to Notre Dame. Now the Irish were number 17 going into this contest, but BYU and Jamal Willis 
doing the work late. Go ahead and game-winning touchdown after a Chad Lewis blocked field goal, no less, late in the look, fourth quarter. Look who's blocking on this play. A freshman, Kalani Satake. I love it. Mm. I love it. BYU wins 21-14. The lone win for the Cougars <laughs> as Lavelle gets the... He got crushed on that. <laughs> Is that a Powerade bath? I, I, what was it? I, it was something else. Who at was the, the time? contract uh, with at the time? <laughs> oh my gosh! Take it easy. All right, vote in the poll. 94 Notre Dame against 84 Michigan. You got to go Michigan here, right? It's got to go Michigan. It's for a natty. That should be in the championship I, game. Listen, probably. I was surprised that uh, Beck to Harleen only had 71% of the I vote. I have a little. Like higher. Pittsburgh had 29% of the pit. vote. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the Keaton Slovis pit angle there. In a 4 13 matchup. Okay. <laughs> Up next, we welcome on fellow BYU radio host Julie Rose to discuss why your life will be better and is better if you are a sports fan. Mm-hmm. Fantastic psychology on the way. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Sports Nation, we are live in Studio B alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. We got a lot of homies in the building. Indeed. TV side yep. and our radio homies on BYU Radio. We're friends, though. Yes, and one of those good friends on the BYU Radio yeah. side is a fantastic host. Her name is Julie Rose. She works on the show Top of Mind. She is the host of Top of Mind. And uh, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, your, your job is to find the most interesting topics to discuss. And, and now you bring sports in. You have, you yes. have found your way into sports. Yes. Shocking, we right? Feel val- <laughs> we feel validated. You've been telling me for years, you got to cover <laughs> sports, guys. Right, well, so our podcast every week, we look for, we tackle one tough, tough topic yeah. that people are inclined to argue about. And this is one that I've wanted to do for a really long time because... I'm not a, like a, a heavy-duty sports fan. I'll watch a game if it's on and I have to. <laughs> I'm if I'm forced. It's all good. I used to know the Cougar Fight song, though. I was okay. a BYU all Cougar right. fan when one I was day, a student here. Um, but the question that, that I was really wondering is like, okay, so most of Americans, at least 60% of Americans, are sports fans. Mm-hmm. Um, is that good for us? Like, as a country, we're so polarized right now. And sports is fundamentally tribal. Mm-hmm. It's why we have a job. So we're going to say yes. It's we good. would like the answer to be yes here. What have you so, found? Well, and so, and then we go in looking for perspectives that are going to challenge us. And this is one where I kind of had a bias, right? I was like, I feel like this is not good for us. Um, not that it has to go away, but I feel like it's not helping sure. in this divisive world that we live in. And we are always looking for surprises. And this one really, really surprised me. Mm. So would it surprise you to know, based on some very credible research, that the bigger sports fan you are, the more friends you have. Okay, this makes no, sense that to makes me sense. because sports is so tribal. Okay. Yes. You want to experience it in an echo chamber of people who like the same fans yes. or the same teams and players that you do. Creates community. So yeah. even more so, though, than, say, you know, if you're like a Comic-Con person or you're mm-hmm. really into, like, I don't know, comic books or, or a band, right? Let's say you're, you know, you would think that that could create the same kind of thing, right? Like, it, it, tribal, you sort of have your thing. Well, sports, more so than pretty much anything else you can think of wow. creates because sports is not sports fandom is not about what's happening on the field. It turns out it's, it's about the texts that go back and forth, 
between your friends. It's about the, you know, it's an excuse to reach out, to communicate with your, you know, your, your grandpa who you don't have much else in common with except for the team that you love, right? Okay. So it's about these networks and these guys actually did some research. It's a couple of sports marketers who, wrote, who did all this, interviewed like 30,000 fans. Um, and, and did surveys and focus groups. So that was really fascinating. They found that not only do sports fans have more friends, but they also are, are more satisfied in their jobs. This is the one that really blew my mind though. The bigger the sports fan you are, the less likely you are to be politically polarized. Wow. So you feel more friendly toward for people of an, of an opposing political viewpoint. Interesting. And these guys are arguing, and I actually kind of get it now, that sports fandom could, rather than being, you know, because I was like, it's tribal, it's dividing us, but it can actually be a tool to, to reduce polarization in society at large. Mm. So even though wow. I'm not a sports fan, I am way more supportive now of the idea that people should be sports fans. Yes. Because, and here's why, I'm like, it doesn't make sense that it would be less polarized because it's always us versus them. Someone's always winning and losing. But polarization functions when you have poles and, and, and the nature of it is that you're getting pulled to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. So the more identities you have as a person, mm -hmm. the less strength each, any of these poles have to draw you into it, into an us versus them idea. So more teams. A couple of teams. Or even just, well, sure, there's that. But like there's if, also, like, if your identity, okay, so you're, you're a Cougar fan, you're also a dad, you're also, uh, you know, maybe you identify really a lot with where you went to school or with uh, your religion, for example, right? Like, those are the here, identities common, right? that, you know, those are the identities that, that affect what we value, um, where we spend our time. And the more you have of those, the less pull any of those have to kind of suck you into the, the dangerous polarization where you see everybody else as the other. So there's that. There's the fact that yeah. if you have a more, it's called identity, well, uh, it complicates your identity and makes you less, less um, susceptible, wow. susceptible to falling into polarization. Interesting. And also it creates, so like if you're going to go, you know, you're at a big game, what matters, this person who's sitting next to you is also cheering and you're talking about your favorite player and what's going on. It, 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 you might find out that they have a completely opposite political view than you, but that doesn't matter. You're still getting to know that person. And maybe this is the first time you've ever met somebody who is X, right, of a certain race or a certain ethnicity or a certain political stripe. And you're going to feel less, it's going to be harder to sort of paint all those people mm -hmm. as other because I know you, so and so, and yeah, they're yep. cool, and we share and, the same yep. affinity. We had a fun experience together. Yeah, so, bonded. sports fandom is the solution to all our problems. I <laughs> we, feel like I'm Julie, happier because of sports. It's not that simple, honestly. but we've been I'll doing give you this show. We've been sure. doing this show for almost ten years. Welcome, okay? <laughs> Welcome. Like, it's about time. You are in here, Julie. We <laughs> got you. There is room for you, okay, as, <laughs> as a sports fan with us. And, no, we appreciate, sincerely, the, uh, the fascinating research that goes into this. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not just like, hey, like sports, your life will be better. There's, there's real, real meat. Tangible data now. Let's which is and awesome. lean into the, the power that sports can be to create connection. Yeah. So send the text when the team, you know, reach out to the old friend from college that you haven't been in touch with in a while. Get the family group chat going when your team is on a streak. Um, and also recognize, you know, that sports is commercial. There are profit motives in play here. Yeah. This is not, oh, it's they're not out to make Benjamins. you a better person. They're out to make money. So recognize that.
but use it for the power that it has Great to stuff. improve our yeah. communities. Julie, thanks for the time. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me come on. The host of Top of Mind, Julie Rose. Download a show. Sports Check it out. Yeah. Absolutely. Great stuff. Up next on BYU Sports Nation, a little whip around moment and who gets the rise and shout out. Stay with us. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. BYU Sports Nation is on demand. Hey, we have free apps and a podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. All right, the Cougar Whip Around, presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Just one today, Spence, pro right. football focus. Ranks the returning edge rushers in the Big 12. Tyler Batty coming in at number four. How about that? Wow. CPOE's best defensive player. Who? I want him to be. If it's not him, who is it? Maybe Malik Moore or Ben Bywater. Mm. They don't have them. Or ranked maybe Eddie as Heckard. High. Eddie Heckard might be, dude. Eddie Heckard might be the best defender BYU has. Yeah. I want Tyler Batty to be because BYU needs needs a pass rush defensive lineman yes amen yes so out oh, that's great it's a great great pat on the back for time i didn't know that number that's good all right our question of the day jim nagy executive director of the senior bowl says keaton slovis hasn't been talked about nearly enough when it comes to best transfer portal acquisitions in college football this offseason are you buying this our elite voice of the day presented by pax healthcare elevated from van gaffney on facebook said yes i'm drinking the blue kool-aid oh yeah let's not forget byu's quarterback image or heritage, rather. And Jim Nagy is nationally respected for his senior bowl team choices. Presently, BYU has produced two NFL quarterbacks in a row. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen is that Keaton has the right attitude going forward. You include Taysom Hill. they got three quarterbacks in the league right now. Yep. Let's include him. Let's include him. Today's Rise and Shoutout presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. So all the track and fielders, uh, Kenneth Rooks with the national championship. Other first-team All-Americans, Claire Seymour and Megan Hunter, Lexi Halliday, Lowry, Sierra Tidwell-Alfin, yes. Dallin Schertz, Ben B uh, Barton, I was going to say Bywater, Casey Klinger, <laughs> Caleb Witzkin, and Cameron Bates. Congrats to everybody. I hope Ben Bywater's an All-American. And Ben Bywater. <laughs> His day in the life, by the way, hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> Our thanks to today's guest, the voice of Iowa State football, John Walters, and Julie Rose of BYU Radio's Top of Mind. Sorry to Dennis, we ran out of time. You're, you make my life better, Dennis. For Jeremiah and Spencer. <laughs> Shout out to Ed Eyestone. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Go Cougs. Be a sports fan. Your life will be better.